I didn't write no song about a cow, but now what about a cow that you could possibly like? Well, there's steaks, there's milk. Why not write about a cow? No one is written about it. Why not write about a cow? Rufus Thomas wrote one of the all-time great songs about food, the funky chicken. In his memory, we present to you Pandora's Lunchbox. It's a food satire show, sometimes intentionally. We'll play songs about food, but we'll also talk to real restaurant owners and look at food in culture. And if we're ever boring, you get your money back. It doesn't cost a thing to tune into Pandora's Lunchbox on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Pandora's Lunchbox every Thursday evening at 6.30. This statement not evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Everybody gets a sandwich sometime and a piece of cake and ice cream if they're nice. Yo, I could swallow the sea. I could hold my breath and count to a zillion. I can fly. I can stretch and stretch for a million billion miles till I'm the highest man in the world. Yeah, well, I could become a giant robot with magic death rays. That's nothing, man. I can't be burnt. Like, I could eat flame and stick my head in an oven and close the door and turn it visible. Hey, where you going? Hey, 
Please keep it down in there. Your mother's got a splitting headache. And knock off that boasting. If the same old senseless posturing has got you ready to chunk your terrarium and start raising sea monkeys, hold the bus. You've got the bragging rights to the best mix of freeform music and public affairs. Right here on WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor, 88.3, Radio Free. No lying. I can speak 12 languages and turn into plastic, man. Well, I could talk to animals and turn into Stretch Armstrong and The Flash. I've seen Star Wars and Planet of the Apes 8 trillion times. Yeah, well, I've seen Tatum O'Neill naked. Yeah, well, I could eat 900 boxes of Count Chocula, and my uncle used to host Rapper Room, and he knows Count Chocula, Godzilla, and Bruce Lee personally. I got an iron neck. Hey, I thought I told you to keep it down in there. If I hear one more word, you're getting head cheese for dinner, and I mean it. I can juggle machetes. Man, I ate the brown acid at Woodstock. You liar. You are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. This is Living Writers. My name is Molly, and my co-host is Sarah. This week, we are talking... What? I say this at the beginning of our recording. I know. Hold on. Um, we are talking to Zoe Rice, and real quick, I wanted to let you know... Um, that last week there was no podcast because of a server failure. So if you tune into this later on today on the podcast, go to our website, www.wcbn.org um, slash living writers, and you can listen to last week's interview there if you so desire. listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. This is the Living Writers Show and your hosts Sarah and Molly are here. Um, today we are speaking to Zoe Rice whose first novel Pick Me Up was recently published. Um, how are you today Zoe? I'm great. Thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah, no problem. So this is your first novel and it falls into the category of chiclet. Yeah. How do you feel in general about this, um, I guess, subgenre of women's literature? Well, there are two kinds of chiclet, I feel. There's one, 
one kind that's a little more towards romance and creating a sort of a fun romantic comedy for women with a plucky heroine and um, and a lot of humor. And that's what I would feel that, that my book sort of falls into. And then there's another category with the sort of heroine who hates her job or maybe isn't very good at her job and is is not happy with her life and a little bitter. And that's that's not so much my what I'm most interested in. Uh, and I, I so do think that it gets a bad rap uh, in terms of that the writing isn't necessarily considered as good as as some other genres. But I really I really hope that my novel can prove that you can have great writing and funny heroines and just a really fun read. Um, do you read a lot of Chicklet yourself? I've I've read enough um to to know that i'm not as interested um in reading about someone who's primarily unhappy <laughs> but i do love the shopaholic books to death um and when i got a quote from sophie kinsella it was it just made the whole publication for me um so that's really what i like to read the sort of sophie kinsella and um jennifer wiener also is hilarious and whitney gaskell um so I like the sort of high-on-humor books. Um, you got your start in publishing on the editorial side. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When you were an editor, um, what kinds of books did you work with? Well, I guess I should probably <laughs> confess that um, I did actually edit the first three Shopaholic books. <laughs> I co-edited them, um, but I was primarily first her her biggest American fan. Uh, audience fan. I fell in love with her the minute I read her, and that's really why I wanted to write Chicklet, because I had such a great time editing Sophie Kinsella's first three Shopaholic books um, when I was an editor. Um, But other than that, that was the only Chicklet I edited. I did a lot of what we consider upmarket fiction, so what's more considered sort of commercial literary fiction, um, a lot of women's fiction, but more more serious stuff. Um, Excuse me. But I enjoyed oh. it very much. <laughs> Sorry, I um, how did okay the Molly, you say it because I don't remember the title of that book. Sorry, we're disastrous at times. Um, so this will be edited. I mean, recently, as I'm sure you're aware, there was a huge scandal with the Kavya Vasanthwanan mm-hmm. or Kavya Vasanthwanan, whatever. Um, not quite sure of her name, novel that came out and the plagiarism right. accusations. Um, how did, I mean, I don't know if you still have a lot of contacts in editing or if you're still editing, but how did you as an editor react to that sort of scandal? And did you do you feel like um, maybe some of the reason that Chicklet isn't getting the respect that you feel it deserves um, is because of scandals like this and the feeling that maybe all these books are the same? You know, I don't think necessarily that that specific... Um, occurrence had so much to do with Chicklet as it did with really young authors. Um, it's very hot right now and has been for a few years to find the next hot young, young thing, sort of the younger the better. Um, and that's one of the reasons she got probably such a huge advance is because she, she had that sort of still in college story behind her that a lot of teenagers relate to and they're a big part of the readership. Um, but what happens when you're a young writer is that you're learning how to write a novel, you're learning how to write, and a lot of the process of doing that is emulating writers that you've enjoyed in the past. So her sort of learning experience part of 
copying and, and writers that she's enjoyed, writing in their voice maybe sometimes, that should never have been published. Um, that's sort of the interim stage to, to when you become a writer. And she could have maybe one day been a great writer if, if, if the industry weren't always looking for that next hot young thing and maybe given her time to get to that point. Um, I don't think it was done purposely or maliciously, but I think it was sort of just that that she was published too early. Um, and I hope it doesn't turn people off to chiclet because, uh, you know, for me, I just like writing things that make people laugh. And if you can laugh on a beach with a book and, and, and I can help you do that, then that's, that's the, the ultimate goal. Yeah, it almost seemed like fan fiction when I was reading those passages. I'm sorry I missed you on that one. Oh, it almost seemed like fan fiction. Um, reading the passages from that book mm. rather than an actual book, but I haven't obviously it's, read the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, it's tough. I, I, uh, agents, it's it's such a tough industry. It's so hard to find someone that's going to be given, you know, the, the backing. And if you have a great personal story, it, it makes the publication. And unfortunately, it didn't make the book. <laughs> um, sorry. What? Every time. Okay. Um, so what then was your motivation behind writing your book just to entertain or um, how did, I guess how did you set about writing Pick Me Up and creating um, the ter- character of Isabel Duncan? Um, for me, I, I wanted to write the book that I most wanted to read um, and, I'm, and I think I did that. I, I do think there was a lot of room within the chiclet genre for a book that was a little more careful, a little, a little more maybe. I mean, I worked on it for a long time, and I had a, a very high standard of quality. And I, and I, and I, the response from readers has been that you know that they they've uh, enjoyed that and recognized it. So that's great to hear. But I really did want to write another type of shopaholic book where it's very funny, where the main character you you know you sympathize with her. I mean, the difference with me and uh, is that I wanted my heroine to be very good at her job and very interested in her career and and for her the career is the new york art world and she's a gallery dealer and i love that world it's a very complex uh, you 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 are who you know kind of industry and it could have i could have made her very catty i could have because there are certain there is certainly room for that in the art world but i wanted her to just love what she does and her main problem is that her career is in danger and uh she has to rely on on two men a new boss and a new artist to sort of um, get her out of get her out of her trouble, she's either going to do well and get everything she wants, or do poorly and lose everything she has. Um, and when you were creating um, your heroine, did you um, look towards, I guess, uh, others in the chiclet? genre and kind of pick and choose strengths and weaknesses that you notice as trends? Um. I started my first draft by writing her a lot more in my own voice, which failed miserably because apparently I'm really not that sympathetic on paper. <laughs> so so I, once that happened, I really tried to, I, you know, I guess it's possible, I did theater in high school, and it's possible that my my method is really more to think about a, a character and try and then step into that character. So I really felt as if I were almost playing a role as I wrote, and I was trying to think like her and think what her reactions would be. So I didn't, I really didn't take from other characters. I wanted to avoid that as much as possible because I, I do think in some ways she's 
she's different from the average chicklet character, even as she shares many traits of wanting everything, you know, the, the perfect guy, the perfect job. Um, but she's just so smart, and I wanted to make sure that, 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 that her drive and ambition came across as much as her sweetness and, and warmth. So I tried to basically create someone in my mind and then talk like her on, on page. Um, when you say that you wanted her to be more sympathetic than your voice came out, <laughs> like, how did, like, what decisions then did you make about the character to try to get readers to sympathize with her? It was tough. I, I sort of threw out my first draft because the voice wasn't right. And, uh, you know, sarcasm, which you can very easily use in conversation, doesn't come across on the page like I want it to. So I took out a lot of her sarcasm, and she is feisty. She will sort of come back at you if you if you test her. But she's also just a very warm, good person. And I had to sort of figure out situations that would show that off. Um, we I added a few scenes where where you see her relating to others and and seeing how much she cares about people and cares about her job. And she she cares a lot. I mean that is that if I had to say that the the main thing I did was I gave her more things to care about and more ways to care. Uh, and that really made her for me. And now that you mention it, it does seem like versus a lot of the other chiclet that we've read, the character is more interested in doing a good job in the people she's working with than she is in the clothes that she gets. Um, but one thing that Sarah and I have talked about in the past is sort of the idea of the flirty or flippy um, heroine at being very pervasive throughout Chicklet. Did you do you feel like that's part of the reason that it's so um there's so many lead characters in novels that are a little bit ditzy is partly because they're easy to sympathize with, easier than say a catty woman or a confident woman? For me that that adds that just adds humor. Um and yeah, it is easily you know, it is certainly more easy to relate to someone who's going through a tough time than someone who has everything. Um but it also adds a lot of opportunities for humor. You know, every time she cuts in a tough situation, as much as I felt for her, I mean, I really did, um, I also tried to find as many ways as I could to make it really funny. Um, you know, if nothing's going wrong, there's no humor that you can find. And that was really important for me that, that I wanted people to laugh at it. Um, and she does have her, her, her flighty moments, um, as many, you know, certainly the Shopaholic books are, are filled with about as many flighty moments as you can find. And, and the interesting thing is that some readers don't, don't uh, sympathize with that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and it's, I didn't really think are people going to sympathize with her as I was writing her going through troubles. It was more that I was. Um, and, yeah, I do think that it makes the, the heroine seem more real, or if not real, then, then empathetic. Um, and I think that is one of the reasons that, that the audience enjoys these books. Um, you write, as well, a blog that mm -hmm. is called Real Girl Beauty. Uh -huh. And um, how does... It seems that you um, associate like knowing about things like beauty products with... I mean, you say real girl, so like it seems like you associate that very strongly with womanhood. And in the book, it seems like one of Isabel's triumphs is when she can put herself together for an event without like the help of her more confident friend. 
Um, is this an idea of womanhood that you are anxious to promote? Well, with Real Girl Beauty, I, it's called Real Girl more because I'm not a beauty editor. I'm just a real girl who is, and it's, the Real Girl Beauty has been around longer than the book has, and it's got a really devoted following. Um, and it's much more about debunking certain myths, finding products that'll do what they say they'll do. It's not, uh, and, and I always make sure that there, everyone can discuss and, and, and ask questions. It's not about promoting beauty as a, as, a mess, as a way towards happiness. It's more a place where people can ask questions and find reviews that are not driven by advertising or editorials, uh, because in, in the past, I've personally found that that will sell me things that are not as good as they should be. So that's how Real Girl Beauty started. With Isabel, one of the reasons that she's been insecure her whole life is because she felt really unattractive as a teenager. And I, and, you know, I, I certainly can relate to that, and that is something that I absolutely went through. So when I, you know, and this is something that Isabel and I share probably more than anything else between us, um, when I put myself together and I look cute and I'm going out and I feel confident, I feel great. And, and I think that if that's, you know, what a girl needs to do to feel great, then she should be able to do it as best she can. That said, I don't think she's, you know, Isabel feels more great when she's selling a painting in the book than she does when she puts herself together. She feels more great when she's impressing her boss because she's good at her job, even though she wants to impress him in other ways as well and really develops a huge crush on him. So one without the other is not is not really how I go um, or what I prefer. I like both, and I think both are necessary to be able to, to do things uh, with your brain, with your hands, with your job, whatever, and, and at the same time be able to feel like you can put yourself together and put a face onto the world that you're happy with. Not necessarily, you know, beautiful to others, but just something you're happy with. Um, talking about your blog, do you feel like you either learned a lot or um, were in any way influenced by um, the discussions going on there, just talking to other women um, in writing the book, or that it helped you write the book, it helped you promote the book to have that blog, and kind of how to, because you have two very sort of public writing lives that are very different, and how, kind of how do they intersect? They are really different, and it did help me promote the book, and mostly because the women who read the blog and who comment on the blog are so devoted and loyal and great. Um, and one thing I love about the blog is that it really does embrace all kinds of, of opinions, all kinds of beauty. There's never anyone smiting at each other, because certainly there are certain beauty forms or, or places where, where women are just horrible and catty to each other, and that was exactly what I didn't want, and I'm lucky that it hasn't happened. Um, it's just a great community of women, more talking about whether something works or not than, than how it makes you look. I mean, we're, no one's saying, you know, so much, I love the way this makes me look. It's more, I love the way this makes me feel. Um, and whether or not a product you can buy in the store should be responsible for that is a whole other discussion. Um, you know, you can certainly argue whether capitalism should be a, a, a means to happiness. Um, but I, I can't change that. I mean, the shopping makes me happy, and I understand that sociologically that that's 
there should be other things that give you that same rush, and it is a problem. And there are tons of books, even just on on shopping as as a, an addiction and credit card debt, and you know. But I, one of the things I do also is I try and find well priced products that give you the the value you're looking for. Um, and I, I, when I talk about blog and I talk about the book, I really do feel like two different people because <laughs> the book is fiction, I guess, is really what, what it comes down to. Um, it's a story about someone else, and the blog is more a story about me and, and what, I, what I experiment with um, in terms of uh, products. Um, so I don't really know how I can reconcile the two. The writing is really different, too. The writing on Real Girl Beauty is just excited and ha- upbeat and tell it to you straight, and the writing in the book is, is more, I want to entertain you, I want you to laugh, and I want you to fall in love with all of these characters. Um, another web presence that I'm familiar with of yours is your participation in The Ultimate Blogger yes. 2. Yes. <laughs> um, which, for listeners who are unaware, is a reality blogging competition <laughs> hosted by um, the website urbanhonking.com and Zoe was a contestant in the second go at this uh, or the sec- I guess the second season is what they're calling it <laughs> of Ultimate Blogger um, and as part of this you um, wrote about beauty products for men mm-hmm. and that's how I'm going to transition to our discussion of the uh, the leading men in Pick Me ah. Up. <laughs> um, because, so there's the two the two competitors for the woman, and uh, it's it's up to her to figure out which of them is the um, wolf in sheep's clothing. <laughs> and I think it's interesting, having read, um, you know, your commentary on, I believe it was like exfoliants for men. Mm. And then you know, Isabel's questioning of uh, each man's sexuality at certain points due to presence of products. (laughs) Um, But I guess I don't know what I'm trying to say, except that these men were interesting characters um, and that they were very similar and then quite different and fit into the chiclet genre in different ways. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, in the art world, you sort of have to question if every guy involved <laughs> is gay or straight. It's a game, I'm sure, that <laughs> many play, because uh, you never know for sure, um, which is one of the reasons I love the art world, because, you know, you can, uh, there are as many characters in the art world as there are possibly in the world. Um, and the two, the two men, Avery, Devin, is very, he's very European. He's got a very European sensibility, even though he's he's American, but he spent a lot of time in Europe, and he does use a lot of product, and he's very well-groomed, um, and he's sort of her ideal man. He's just stunningly handsome and debonair and sophisticated, and he knows everything about the art world, or, or she thinks he does. Um, and Grady Cole is an artist, and she says right off the bat she's not going to date an artist because they're known for having massive egos and for being difficult and... And I'm sure a lot of gallerists in the world could uh, could uh, appreciate that. Um, but uh, as, as she gets to know Grady Cole, they develop an interesting relationship, and one that I had a blast writing because they they sort of tease each other mercilessly. He 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 knows how to get to her and and to make her feel things 
deeply, um, most of which humiliation and uh, anger. <laughs> um, but so far, uh, reaction to that relationship has been really positive, and it is a bit of a chiclet style relationship in that uh, in that they start out as adversaries and become perhaps something like friends at one point, uh, and then and then return to being adversaries. You're listening to the Living Writers Show on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. My name is Sarah, and my co-host Molly is hanging around. Um, we're, you know, dealing with the oppressive heat in short shorts and tank tops while we uh, bask in the air-conditioned studio and listen to this interview that we did with Zoe Rice yesterday. The book that she wrote is called Pick Me Up, and um, it's about a gallerista um, struggling to, you know, keep her job and choose between two men at the same time. Um, so that's what's what's going on. The phone number here is 734-763-3500 if you feel so inclined to chat about things like young adult novels. So one other um, contrast between Avery and Grady in the book is actually their views on art, which is something I found very interesting. Mm. And for those of you listening who haven't read the book, Avery is a little bit more into the sort of cutting edge, you know, um, art that, you know, many people probably don't agree with being funded um, with government money, et cetera. Um, the cattle dung sculptures and embalmed animals sorts of things that have been showing up on the London scene. Um, although I guess a painter one the contest this year, so maybe they're going back. And then Grady represents more of a a pop art sort of sensibility. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, not having seen any of this art that is not real anyway in the book, it's hard for me to judge. But um, I, I, Isabel really seems to relate more to Grady's um, more, more classic sort of sensibility of what is art. How, how did you... Um, sort of navigate that in the book and are these really your views on things or just um something that fit with the character and how That's do you a really interesting question and in that as i was writing it i was sort of realizing that isabel's views on art are not entirely my own she does have a more conservative taste um she recognizes when something is beautiful and daring and she does i think prefer something daring but but certainly not as daring as as what avery likes and and what avery really courts is controversy. He likes something that's going to get in the press, something that's going to get people coming to the gallery, something that's going to get uh, buzz. And um, and Isabel really likes something beautiful and well-crafted and um, 
And I, I did sort of wonder, while well, I was writing, if, if people would think that this is what my views were. And I think I, think I, I wind up somewhere in between. Um, I really love when art does something different, but there are certainly times... You know, I, I read about an artist last year who, who had, I think, six editions of a video, and those six editions were that men could could buy the edition, and then she'd have sex with them, and the video would be the art. <laughs> and I don't know about that. You know, that's a little far for me. But but I respect her right to do it, and and I you know I I I wouldn't argue against it if someone else found it something they were really passionate about. So I do really like art that creates a dialogue, um, but I also really do like art that that touches that touches you. And I and I and I did create art for the book in my mind and I described it and that was really interesting and fun um, because I certainly couldn't have done it on paper (laughs) or on canvas Um, so being able to create that art that Grady does and it's all fictional but it's it's all described and I hope I described it vividly and I hope I created it for the reader because um, that that was probably about as close to my taste in art as as I could create for the book Um, that, that sort of definitely dipping into commercial culture I mean I I am fascinated by commercial culture, not so much judgmentally, because I, I don't know I don't know when you judge something if you can necessarily understand it. And I really do like understanding what you know but that's probably the closest tie between real girl beauty and the book is something you can buy and really be able to appreciate and 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 that's something that's commented on in the art that I created in the book. And I don't know if it's something that's a good thing or a bad thing, but that's not really what I'm interested in finding out. I'm just interested in exploring what that's like. Um, and that is art, too, you know, and, and what makes art considered a lofty thing versus, I don't know, you know, a dress that you really love. And I'm not equating them. Just it's that, that phenomenon of being able to buy something that you can appreciate that I find kind of fascinating. And that did work its way into the book, I would say. Um, what is your involvement in the art world, first of all? You know, do you know people in it, and that's how you got your information for how things work, mm-hmm. one. And also, um, it seems like versus other books that sort of paint this sort of New York upscale artsy or, you know, not necessarily visual art, but artsy sort of scene, um, it seems like there are a lot more nice people, <laughs> a lot more people that you want to talk to in this book than in almost any other that I've read that involves... <laughs> Someone, you know, even from Brooklyn moving to Manhattan right. or Midwest moving, it's like, oh, there are these nice people that I want to hang out Aww. with. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm glad you <laughs> felt that way. I really am. Um, you know, I am from New York. I'm from Brooklyn. I still live in, I live in Manhattan now where I've lived for years. Um, and I think we're nice. Um, and, I, I, you know, like I, I said sort of earlier on, I, I didn't want to create a bitter world. I really wanted to create a place. And it's not sappy. It's not saccharine. There are sort of biting characters, and, and, and Izzy has her biting moments. But it, I didn't want it to be a cruel place. I didn't want it to be an uninviting place. I really wanted to invite readers into this world and let them enjoy it. Um, and my own... <laughs> quite a coincidence um, I've, I've been interested in the art world since I was 16 and I, and I went to France and I, and I saw the museums there and then I've been studying it since then I spent a semester in London um, in college studying history of art um, I traveled around Europe on a, on a tour of, of art in churches and museums that I'd always wanted to see and then right after I sort of developed the idea for the book so Grady was his own character and his own before I, I met this person but after I started just started writing the book I met 
my boyfriend, who happens to be a painter. <laughs> so I've spent a lot of time in, in the New York art world through him. Um, a lot of his friends are painters and gallerists, and he actually now also works for a private art dealer. So he was helpful, um, and I spent a lot of time in that world since then. Um, and it is, a, uh, it is probably not as pleasant a world as it is in the book. Um, but but when you're pa- you, you don't get paid well in the art business, so you have to be passionate about it. It's like the book business. You don't get paid well, so the only thing you're getting out of it is love. And that's what I wanted to, to capture, the sort of feeling of doing something because you love it. And everyone sort of has that feeling who works in the art world in this book, um, except maybe Avery. But I don't know. You know, I don't know. There are certain things about he loves, too. I didn't really think about whether or not he loves the art world. I just sort of thought about what, what his character was like. Um, so that probably that's where that probably stems from, a, a love of what you're doing. Um, also on the topic of the, the leading males and, in, you know, leading males in chiclet in general, mm-hmm. Molly and I were wondering um, about your interpretation of the gravelly voice. <laughs> Do I have a gravelly voice? No, oh, no. no it, you know they it's, always get gravelly. The men voices. always get these gravelly That's voices, funny. and you know we, we. I mean, we're young, we're inexperienced, really but we're not funny. really sure we've ever heard a gravelly voice, and we're wondering if you know we're just well, not, as, like not as wonderful like as we think we are. I like a deep rumble myself, <laughs> but uh, uh, I, think, I can't remember if I have any gravelly voices in the book. It doesn't sound oh, like something I. There are definitely. There's definitely one. There's That's one? what made okay, me think really. of it. Oh. Um, I, I think of it as being sort of a little bit rough a little to have sort of like or, or 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 it could be like you know if you're sort of almost about to break into tears your voice could be a little gravelly it has a little oh. it's like there's a little gravel in there making it catch a little yeah. i guess how I would it's just it. interesting to us because i mean chiclet is kind of you know based in sort of the romance tradition in many cases as you were now. talking about before yeah. um not all of it but something like your novel would be and so but the lingo is very different <laughs> um you know and there's there's not it's just fun to read a, a scene that's maybe the heroine looking into the eyes of the person <laughs> she's going to be with at a wedding or something. And in a, in a stray romance novel, the wording will just be so different and everything huh. will be described so differently can, versus in Chiclet. I can confess that I've actually, and I, and I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing again, but I've never read a, ro- a, a proper romance novel. I only read one. Um, <laughs> so this is my and whole I, and, I, and I don't know if I, I don't, I'm pretty sure I could never write one. <laughs> Um, you just, just said deep throated rumbling, you know. I think yeah, you might I, have an untapped talent. But you wanna you wanna describe things I wanna describe things as as much as you can to try and really put someone in the moment. And so for me I guess gravelly would be that there's like a catch. You know, there's I think of something that has gravel in it and it makes it sort of rough and and not smooth and about to catch. So that that's what I would think. And and but when it comes to you know, it's very hard, you know, it's very hard to get those she says and he says out of there and so you try to do anything you can to, to make it a little more vivid than he said she said <laughs> we weren't trying to make fun of you we were just wondering what you thought it's just a but, little uh, funny. but I've never, yeah I really never have read I think I, I might be scared by a proper romance novel because there's a little sex in the book there's a sex in my book but it's pretty pretty tame <laughs> I sort of axed out all the parts that uh with the bodice ripping yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> For that, we're grateful. <laughs> we, we're afraid of romance novels also. I've never touched one. I read, I, read, I read a period romance novel one time, and it scarred me for life. Well, you know what else? I, I, I once, um, a friend of mine was, was talking to me about a romance novel, and, once, and she said that um, 
the main fantasy of the woman. And I should say, I do know some romance editors, and they're very talented people, and I think they do great work. Um, and I asked them about this, too, and so I don't think it's so prevalent anymore. But back in, you know, when I was a teenager, say, a dozen years ago or so, um, there, were, there were rape fantasies, and that was sort of hot. And that stems from a time when, when maybe women weren't allowed to want sex. So if that was going to be an ultimate fantasy, it had to be taken from them. And that disturbed me quite a bit. And that's probably one of the reasons why I've never actually read a romance novel. But from what I understand, that is not very prevalent anymore. But that kind of thing is... is there's actually there's a sociological book called Reading the Romance, which I, which I read once in college, um, really looking at, at, at how... how and, women can become empowered by romance novels because it lets them feel like they can be in a world that, that you know, at that time, maybe in the 70s and 80s, wasn't as socially acceptable. Um, now I think it's fine. You can just go have sex wherever you want to now, I think. <laughs> but it was, you know, I mean, I, I, so I've always been fascinated by romance novels, but I've never, I've never <laughs> aspired to write one. Maybe that's next. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> we'll you. We'll, I think I'm actually going to go go tamer, if anything, because I might I might write a young adult novel. <gasps> Wait, wow. you tell us about that. Yeah, we want to know all about that. We want to know about what you think about, I guess, well, I'll speak this as an actual interview question because you just really made us excited. Yeah. Um, YA is what we love the most. Um, what made you think that you wanted to write a young adult novel and how do you think the voice and the characters will differ? I mean, aside from between every book, but just in terms of mm-hmm. your outlook when you're writing for a younger audience. Well, some of the most enthusiastic readers I've met um, or have spoken to over email and MySpace, because MySpace is huge now with the kids, um, Teenage readers are just so enthusiastic and so eager to read and, and really enjoy the product. Um, and, and it's great. You know, it's, 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 that's exactly what I want is for people to be able to, to enjoy it. Um, and you know, young adult is a very hot market now in publishing industry. It's growing, which is one of the only growth areas, um, getting new readers and, uh, it's going to be oversaturated very soon. Um, but, uh, you know, will I be writing about rich teenagers? I don't know. Um, will I be writing about sort of women, disco- you know, young girls finding their inner woman? Uh, I don't know. It doesn't really, I, you know, I, I'm, I have an idea right now that, I, that I'm not sure I'm going to go with um, that does take place in a Brooklyn private school. Um, and maybe that's because that's what I know. You know, like Isabel, I did go to a Brooklyn private school on a on a on a full scholarship, and that is a it's an interesting thing. It's a different perspective when you're in that world, but not entirely of it. Um, and and it can lead to, I think, some some good stories. But I'm not sure exactly what route I want to take. I I don't want it to be full of sex and drugs. I just I, not full. <laughs> you know, it exists in the in the teenage world. That exists hugely now and I don't want to ignore that fact but uh, I would feel troubled if or promoting it um, I don't I don't know it's, it's tough these days when you read a lot you know there's a book I don't remember the name of it but there's a I think it's something called like the rainbow party or oh, something yeah. like that where you know there was a and from what I understand because I didn't read the book there's only one scene but it's a really racy scene involving really young kids um, or young teenagers, rather, and I don't. I don't think I'd feel comfortable writing that. I just wouldn't. But at the same time, I don't want to write a, a, you know, moralizing, 
uh, preachy kind of book either. Um, I don't, you know, I do want to be able to reflect what goes on in the world. Um, I don't think you can write true if you don't. Yeah, I'm so, sure I don't know. It would be an interesting road to navigate and a tricky one. I'm sure your fear of bodice ripping will keep you on the right side of the line. <laughs> <laughs> well, and again, I don't, you know, I, I, right side of the line, I, I don't know what that, you know, I think it's really a delicate balance between portraying what really happens, which is scandalous, mm-hmm. and trying not to make it look cool necessarily, but just and and not be judgmental either. There's a, I mean, how do you you know what what is that line of walking between judgment and and preaching? And that's what I would hope to find. Um, but I don't want to you know I don't want to portray you know young kids in the bathroom in some club with with you know a guy they just met. I, I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that, even though it happens. I'm, you know. Sorry, we've made you uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, it's 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 shocking to me what happens because I, you know, I was a kid, a teenager in New York, and I thought I was going through some, you know, racy times or drug-filled times, and you know, that's that's like Disney compared to what goes on now. <laughs> and only some some. I was a, I was a pretty good kid. <laughs> then again, you know, I did grow up in Michigan, so I didn't have a chance to be bad. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a hard hard road to hoe, so to speak, but I think if you follow where the characters lead you, you'll always be fine, right, Sarah? Yeah, and I agree, and characters are really where every book starts, um, I think. Every good book starts. Um, are you going on book tour at all for Pick Me Up? Um, I haven't been doing a tour. I do have another reading in New York on August 15th at the Time Warner Center, which is a very fancy mall in New York um, at the Borders store there, August 15th at 7 o'clock if anyone happens to be in New York. Um, and I'm really looking forward to that, but my readings have been in the New York area so far. Touring's expensive, um, and I don't know, there's a big debate in the book industry whether it's worth it or not. If you have a big book and you're guaranteed audiences, then it's probably worth it, but on a first novel, when you're still building an, an audienceship, um, a lot of more grassroots online stuff has, has been really helpful and I don't know if necessarily an expensive tour would, would bring in as much as as much revenue as you'd have to spend. But I would like to try and do more local things. We'll see how this Manhattan reading goes. My first reading in Brooklyn went phenomenally well. I couldn't believe it. I had done about everything wrong that you could do beforehand. I'd forgotten my notes and messed you know, I'd given myself a really nice panic here only to screw it up entirely ten minutes before my reading and I had to you know, I put on my dress that I had bought and you know, that and uh turns out that it was too big in the boobs, so I'd have to take my mom taking the dress, you know, ten minutes. That's that's exactly what you want before you go in front of a million people to feel like a piece of cardboard up on top. <laughs> So, you know, it was, it was like the sort of foibles that a chiclet person, a chiclet heroine goes through. And I wrote about it, and uh, and I wrote about it on my MySpace blog, and everyone loved it. So, yeah, I think you probably do <laughs> empathize better with so much is going through that time. <laughs> um, but it turned out, you know, Melissa Banks, who wrote um, Girl's Guide to Hunting and Fishing, they told me I got a better turnout than she did when she did a reading there. Um, and, and everyone, my publicist and the bookstore, were really happy, and it just went really well. So I was really happy about that. Um, I'd love to read more places. We'll see. You know, we'll see for the next book. We'll see for the, the later life of this one if it'll be something that, that makes sense. Do you think that you've connected um, with fans and readers and potential 
and most effectively through MySpace? Yeah, definitely. It's been remarkable. I mean, I, I've, I, I had never even clicked on it before I started using it to try and, and, and tell people about the book. And um, it's just wonderful. I love it when people, give me, you know, leave me a comment saying how much they love the book. It's great. And I love, you know, and, I, and, and one thing that I've been doing is that I, I don't want it to be an impersonal experience. I really don't, I don't want to just ask someone to be my friend and then collect them. I mean, every single person who I ask to become a friend, and if they become my friend, I have, I keep, I keep a list, a, a Word document, cutting and pasting every link of someone who I asked to be my friend, and I check and see if they accept it, and if they did, I leave them a comment. Um, you know, I, I don't want it to be, a, I really, that's like the, one of the best parts of, of having something out there that people can enjoy is, is talking to them about it and connecting with them and, and seeing that you've made them in some small way happy. And it's a really nice thing um, and one of the best things. So, yeah, MySpace has been great. And I don't have 2,000 friends right now because it's slow because I'm contacting every single person. But you know, I've got about 800. And, uh, and it, it's a lot of work and it takes a long time. But I love that you can, I mean, it would be so much less rewarding for me to have written this book if I couldn't connect with some of the people who've read it. It's been really great. So that part's been, been really enjoyable. Um, it's interesting, just a lot of people seem to think that um, electronic communication is making people kind of farther apart and keeping people from connecting, when it seems like a lot of authors, especially um, bloggers and people that are in young adult and kind of connecting with younger people under the age of 30 maybe, or 40 for their for their writings, it seems like it's actually creating more of a link between writers and readers and between um consumers of media and the creators of the media because you can you know co- leave comments and things to the author specifically rather than oh yeah no it's interesting definitely i mean uh, certainly with things with things with um like media and books and movies and you know I, uh, kevin smith has his famous you know th- tens of thousands of friends on on myspace but something like media it definitely brings people together and uh, and again you know it's just a different kind of together um you know, certainly you can talk to people who are in different countries at the you know click of a button. It's just different than when you're at a reading and you're you're talking to someone face to face. And I don't think you know. I think they're both really great opportunities. There's just a lot more opportunity online. Um, and I think it's a wonderful resource. I'm going to try and go on MySpace and see if I can find the people that I love and try and, and, try and tell them. Be like, hey, I love you. I'm on MySpace. <laughs> I'm leaving you a comment. <laughs> Why not? You know, I mean, I, who, everyone's a fan of someone. Nobody's not a fan of someone. Um, oh, that's great. Okay, thanks very much for talking to us today. And thank you very much. You are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor 88.3. This is Living Writers. My name is Molly. My co-host is Sarah. And today we were talking to Zoe Rice. She's the author of the book Pick Me Up, recently published, and also the mastermind behind the blog Real Girl Beauty, which is at Blogspot. Uh, I'm sorry for the clicking noises that are going on. There must be something wrong with the computer connection to the board or maybe the CD. So I apologize for those sounds. If you have not, were not, rather, um, lucky enough to hear the entire interview, you can go to wcbn.org slash livingwriters. That interview will be posted in its entirety there in a few hours. And we also have podcasts through iTunes that you can subscribe to and listen to all the great interviews we have and the full show. 
Um, there are instructions and such on our website as well, wcbn.org backslash or slash living writers. It is 521. Free Speech Radio News is coming up very soon.
WCBN, FM, Ann Arbor. Radio is king of the media. I suppose our youngsters would say cornball or square. And now, CBN Radio brings you... broadcast uh, uh, media can do. You give them a sense of flavor. It's all vegetable. It's digestible. It's delicious and nutritious. Life-size and ready to eat. It's made with real egg formula. And here's a nice-looking record package in from New York. I woke up this morning with WCBN. America's ace of the airways. If this instrument is good for nothing but to entertain, amuse, and insulate, and we will soon see that the whole struggle is lost. And believing that radio has a responsibility to serve in the public interest at all times, we are turning over our facilities to the state militia special. <laughs> WCBN FM Ann Arbor BN FM WCBN FM WCBN FM 
Ann Arbor. WCBN FM. Ann Arbor. WCBN Ann Arbor. A very pleasant, peaceful feeling. You relax deeper and deeper each downward count of my voice, ten. Relaxing deeper, nine. Letting the body gently begin to sink deeper, eight. Eight point three. Yes, it's like a, a push-button radio, you see. Twenty-four hours a day. Whether you like it or not. Oh, we're limited to a 500-mile radius now, but we're working to extend that limit. Free Speech Radio News. It's Wednesday, the 2nd of August, 2006. From KPFK in L.A., Amara Bogado. A new White House plan would mean that U.S. citizens would lose their rights if tried as terrorists. As vote counting continues in the Democratic Republic of Congo, one candidate is denouncing fraud at the polls. I feel about this election, we are going to, to pray God because we want the peace in our country. And we'll hear about the rising tensions in Jerusalem. Those stories and more after the headlines. This is the Free Speech Radio News Headlines. I'm Mitch Jezerich from Pacifica Station, WBAI in New York. As the Israeli military offensive against Lebanon has entered its third week, Prime Minister Ehud Olmert said today that Israel will not stop its military campaign until an international force is deployed along the southern Lebanese border. Jackson Allers has more from Beirut. Prime Minister Ehud Olmert's statement followed a morning raid by Israeli commandos at a hospital in the Hezbollah stronghold city of Baalbek, some 62 miles northwest of the Lebanese capital, Beirut. The Israeli commandos attacked the hospital shortly after Israel listed a 48-hour cessation of air attacks in Lebanon. At least 19 Lebanese civilians were killed in this morning's raid. Israel said it captured five alleged Hezbollah members. Hezbollah retaliated after the raid, firing at least 200 rockets into northern Israel, injuring more than 45 and killing at least one civilian. Lebanese officials have demanded the United Nations and the United States help broker an immediate unconditional ceasefire in the 21-day-old conflict. The Lebanese government says Hezbollah has agreed to a seven-point plan 